So turn in your Bibles to Romans 11. We're going to be Romans 11, 25 through 36. So let me give you a hypothetical situation. And maybe this will happen to you. I want you to imagine hypothetically, that Ross Strader, our senior pastor, comes to you and says, hey, Todd, I'd like you to preach, okay? If that ever happens to you and you get asked to preach, if Ross Strader says this phrase, oh, you're going to love it, that verse is so easy, don't believe him. Our verse today is tricky. It's hard. It's Difficult. In fact, as we've been going through Romans, we've had a lot of those. Romans 9 and 10 and 11, they are difficult passages. And so we want to manage our time well and be good stewards of getting into the text. And so I want to give you just two things to be mindful of before we get into it. So the first thing is this. What we're about to read, Romans 11, 25, 36, goes back and forth between talking about two different things. It talks about the historic... And it talks about the prophetic. So it will talk to you about things that have happened. And then God will tell you some things that are going to happen. And the hard part about this text is there's both back, forth. They stay on historic for a while. Then they move to prophetic. And you have to be careful when you're reading the text to kind of make sure you know what he's talking about. The other challenge with that is, is that when you have that happening in text, I will be very honest with you. It is very easy to get tripped up by the science of all that. Meaning, if you're not careful, you can spend too much time worried about this balance back and forth. And so you can kind of nerd out and you can spend, we could spend all 30 minutes on just that stuff. But here's what we know. We know that God's word, he tells us that it will not return void. God's word is how he speaks to us. And so anytime we gather together and we open up God's word, we know that there's something God wants to teach us. There is a lesson. There is something that God wants to show us either to encourage us or convict us, teach us how to be obedient, teach us how to love him, teach us how to love others. And so in the text today, what I want to try to do is be mindful of both of those things being careful about the historic and careful about the prophetic and also making sure that we have the right kind of attitude about what it is that God wants to teach us, okay? So I'm going to read all the texts, Romans 11, 25 through 36, and then we'll break it down. All right, here we go. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So that is Romans 25 through 27. Now we're going to keep going. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? 
For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. All right, let's go to the first three verses. Romans 11, 25 through 27. Here we go. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Okay, so the first thing you hear from God is that this is a mystery. And so anytime God's word says that, we want to be careful. We want to kind of understand, okay, God's about to tell us something that's a mystery. We're going to try to understand it, but we're also going to remember that God is letting us know that, they, that it's, it's mysterious. It's a little mysterious. And so then he says that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Okay, so let me give you some context. If you've been here the past few months, you already know this, but let me just catch us up. God loves Israel. He, 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 they are his chosen people. God loves Israel. He wants to redeem Israel. The whole Old Testament is full of God telling Israel, I'm going to send Messiah. I'm going to send a Savior to you that will redeem you and that will set you right with me. And he does. He sends Jesus and Israel does not accept Messiah. This is not only in the Bible. This is historical fact. You can confirm this, that Israel does not accept Messiah. They did not, they did not believe he was the chosen one. They didn't want any part of that. And so... What then happened was the gospel then began to go out to the other nations. That's the Gentiles that we're referring to in Romans 11. And really, I feel pretty safe in saying, that's me and that's you. Most of us are probably not from Israel, okay? What happens is the gospel goes to all the nations and the church begins to explode all over the world. Okay, so you see missionary journeys and you see people getting healed and you see, um, you see disciples going everywhere and then you see these younger apostles going and you see this, the, the church begins to take root all over the world and it's still alive and well today. In fact, theologians would say that we are in something right now that started way back then, which is the age of the church or the church age, meaning that there is this group of people who have accepted Messiah and we gather together to to read his word, to worship him, to spread the news of the gospel until he returns, okay? But this just tells you, okay, there's a partial hardening on Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. We don't know when that is. We don't know how many Gentiles that is, but this is God telling us prophetically what's going to happen. That when Jesus returns... When he returns, the hardening of Israel will be lifted and he will redeem Israel. So this thing about the deliverer and I'm coming from ja to Jacob, I want to read to you from Isaiah 59, 20 through 21. God's already talked about this way before in Isaiah. And a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you. 
And my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. So God tells us Israel is going to be redeemed. When Jesus returns, what will happen, the Bible tells us, is he will reign. We will be in a thousand-year reign. He will rule from Jerusalem, and Israel will be redeemed. When Jesus returns, the eyes of Israel will be opened, and he will redeem them. Now, at the risk of sounding trite, now let's move out of the historic, let's move out of the prophetic. What does God want to teach us here? Even in these first three verses, what's God trying to say to you? What can you learn from this? What can you take from this? I'm not trying to be pithy. I'm not trying to be cliche. But I believe that these three verses paint a beautiful picture of the greatness of God. That when you read these three verses, just three verses, what you are seeing here is this is God saying, I'm over this. I have a plan for this. I hold time in my hand. I know when the fullness of Gentiles comes in, I know I'm going to redeem Israel. That he is great, that he is high, that he is sovereign, that he is in charge. It's a lengthy plan. It's a mysterious plan to our minds. But God in just three verses has just told us, I know what I'm doing. The greatness of God from the very start. Okay, we're going to hold that in our minds. God is great. He's above this. He has a plan that he's going to redeem Israel just like he redeemed the Gentiles. Now, let's move on. Let's go to verse 28, okay? As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So now God's going to explain his plan. He's just told us, I'm great. I'm over this. I know what I'm doing. Now he's going to explain it. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Here's what God's telling us. As Gentiles, it is to our good in that we benefited from the spread of the gospel. When Israel did not accept Jesus and the gospel went out, that was good for your sake. When Israel says, we don't believe he's the Messiah, they are anti the gospel when they say that. We don't believe it. We're not going to receive Messiah. They are enemies of the gospel. And yet... It was for our good. It was for our sake. As regards the gospel, the message of Jesus, Israel not accepting Messiah was a huge blessing and we received mercy. But then he keeps going. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Don't let the word election freak you out. So he's just said, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, God's elect thing, the thing he's elected to do, his will, his way, his plan. He says, as regards that, they, Israel, are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. God keeps his promises. He says to Israel, you're my people. He says it in Isaiah. We just read it. I'm coming to get you. I'm going to have mercy on you. So as regards the gospel, We benefited from that, but as regards election, God says, I'm going to keep my promise to Israel. I'm going to redeem them for the sake of my promise to them. He's reminding us of his greatness. He's saying, I'm going to be faithful to my promise. Let's go now to verse 29, okay, the next verse. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 
For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. You and I received mercy because or by way of Israel's disobedience. But what he's telling us here is they're going to get the mercy too. God's saying, I have a plan for mercy. I'm great. I know when it's happening. I know what's going on. And part of my plan is mercy. They're going to get it too. Gentiles, you got the mercy because they didn't accept it at first. But I'm coming back and they're going to be redeemed. Now look at the next verse. This verse trips people up all the time. Verse uh, 32. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So this verse freaks people out a lot. That word consigned is kind of scary. We look it up like, well, what does that mean? I'm going to do something I normally don't do. I'm going to tell you two different ways to look at consigned. I believe that they support each other, but I want you to hear both of them. So there is one theory that, that consigned is taken from, in the original text, that it's a jail word. It's a prison word. That God says anyone who disobeys and doesn't receive Messiah, they are in jail. So the Jews were in jail because they disobeyed. Gentiles, before you accepted Christ, you were in jail. And so I consign all of you to disobedience. You're all in jail so that I can have mercy on you. There is also a way to look at this that, that simply says God gives people over to their disobedience. So if you today hear the call of God and you decide to disobey that, okay? God, God, you are not a robot. We understand that. Here's what I want to say. When you disobey God and you are still separated from him, it is counted to you as disobedience. Now, I'm going to get real personal here. If God wants you, he's going to get you, okay? It just, today you may say, no, I don't want that. I believe God knows your life. He knows what's going to happen. But if you want to disobey him, you can disobey him. But you have to know that that disobedience separates you from God. But God says, the Jews and the Gentiles, they were disobedient, but I'm going to have mercy on them. I'm going to show my mercy. So if the first three verses... We're talking to us about the greatness of God. I believe these verses are now talking to us about the grace of God. So here's God who says, I have a plan. I have a thing I'm doing. You know, it's counted to you as your benefit. And then as we read these verses, he's saying, but my plan is mercy. My plan is grace. I'm going to show my grace to you that even though you were disobedient... Even though I'm sovereign and high and holy, I am a merciful God and I will show mercy. The greatness, God's greatness, his power, his sovereignty, his greatness is what makes grace amazing. The fact that a high and holy king who is perfect in every way would show mercy on you, a dirty, rotten sinner, just like I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, is amazing. He doesn't owe us anything. We can't do, do anything 
on our own to earn this salvation. And God shows grace to us. So his greatness and his grace. The greatness of God, the grace of God. Now look at the next few verses. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. So this scripture told us about the greatness of God. Now it showed us the grace of God, that he is a merciful God. And now we get to this thing which many Bible experts consider to be a doxology. This verse 33, that's really like a worship song. It's now proclaiming the greatness of God. So the greatness of God, the grace of God, and I believe this section is now showing us the glory of God. That, that when you understand his greatness and his holiness and how high and exalted he is, and you understand that he's given you grace, that that brings you to a place to glorify him. Okay? Now, this week, I got sucked into a YouTube wormhole. You ever been on one of those? You know, it's like 9 p.m. You're like, how do I fix a taillight? And you look it up, and two hours later... You're watching like plane crashes or there's like, there's, I always end up on the one with like three guys in the jungle digging this pit to like catch a snake. Anybody seen this? There's thousands of them. I don't even know if they're real, but I watch every single one of them. I got in one of those this week because as I was reading this, okay, greatness of God, grace of God, glory of God, I started to feel like that reminded me of something. Now, I, I'm being totally honest here. This is not like the preacher thing where I thought, gee, I better find an illustration. This was really something all week. I thought, what does this remind me of? That, that, that this, this hope and this glory and this joy is like emerging out of this text. This text that starts so strange and mysterious, the deeper I go into it, there's something beautiful that's coming out of, out of there. And then I remembered what it reminded me of. It reminds me of a chalk talk, Okay. Does anybody know what a chalk talk is? You old church people. Okay, a lot of you don't know what a chalk talk is. I'm going to explain it to you because I watched 12 hours of YouTube about it this week. So here's a thing uh, that, that a chalk talk is, okay? And, and here's the deal. I honestly did look for video that we could, we could post, but they're all, you know, 12, 15, 20 minutes long. And believe me, as much as I'd love to just show a video for the sermon, I didn't think Ross would like that. So let me explain to you what a chalk talk is. So this was a big deal back in the day. In my church, it was especially big. By the way, I grew up in a Baptist church. It was so small. It wasn't Southern Baptist Convention. It was called the BMA, the Baptist Missionary Association. Our church had 100 people. We were like the second largest BMA church in the world. I mean, it was so tiny. And we loved chalk talks. So what would happen at a youth rally or a Sunday school fellowship or something like that? They would have a person come in. It was usually a guy. We had a guy in our church who did it, but sometimes we'd, we'd spend some budget money and get somebody, you know, in from Houston to do it, you know. 
And so this is what would happen. When you would come in uh, to, to a chalk talk, there would be a big easel uh, and there would be paper there and um, there would be this shelf on the bottom or beside it that would have just dozens of pieces of chalk, just this very brightly colored chalk, almost neon, but almost glow. And that was the bottom shelf. And on the top, there was kind of this lid thing on top. There were no chalk on it, but it, but, but it was a big deal. It kind of held the, the thing here. You can't see the top there, but on the bottom, you can see the, the, the chalk. And so what would happen is that this person would begin to talk. They would begin, begin to give a, a, a speech, a talk that they had rehearsed. It was, it was always very rehearsed. Sometimes they would do it to a song, but usually it was some sort of devotional. And then it might be 10 minutes or 12 minutes or 15 minutes. You can go find them online and, and watch them. And so they would be talking and they would, and, you know, they might draw a picture of Bethlehem or an ocean or a mountain and they would draw this thing and, and, and you'd be watching and of course if, you, if you, they were really good and you seen a lot of chalk talks you were like come on let's, let's, get, let's get, to the, get to the moment because what would happen is as they got done there'd be this beautiful picture it looked fine you know and they would sort of step back and they would sort of dust their hands off or take their gloves off or whatever not every chalk talk did this but some did and if you knew what to watch for, you would notice that they would move to the side of the easel because behind the easel, there was this little switch. And they would sort of like covertly grab the switch, not covertly, you know, you'd, you'd see them. And they had this cue, they had this phrase that they had worked out with the sound man in the back, okay? Now, in BMA churches, there was one guy back there and he had to do everything, Okay? And we didn't have lights like this. Our lights were just a row of light switches, okay? But what would happen is when the guy said the phrase that he had worked out, right when he hit the switch, the sound guy would kill all the lights in the sanctuary because the lid on the top of that was a black light. And when the house went dark and the black light came on, there would be another image showing through. And it would be a cross or an angel or a Bible. And I'm telling you, I saw so many chalk talks, but every time that black light came on, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> Here's the thing. So, so first of all, that reminded me. That reminded me uh, of this, that as I'm working through this text, there is this glory of God that is showing through. Now, even though it's mysterious and even though we're, sort of struggling that you know, prophetic and historic and what's God going to do, that there is this image coming through. And I am not kidding. In the first service, as I was talking, I realized this. I hadn't, didn't prepare to say it, didn't even think about it. But as I was talking, here's what I realized. The thing I didn't realize about a chalk talk was that secret picture that only shows up with black light, that thing that was done with the, with the magic chalk that would only show up in the dark, that picture, yes, was there the whole time. But I want you to understand something. That, that picture was there in, in that guy's minivan when he drove over. That picture was there. That secret image was there at his house. That picture had been there the whole time. And so when we read texts like this, what we have to realize is our great and gracious God has a plan the whole time. And yes, Sometimes it emerges slowly. Other times it hits you like a lightning bolt. But I want you to know that what this is saying here at the end, the glory of God, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, that's there the whole time. Here's what I mean. 
If you flip back to verse 25, the first verse we talked about, it says, lest you be wise in your own eyes, brothers, there's a partial hardening. But he says, this is a mystery. And that's really it. Verse 25 says, lest you be wise in your own eyes, this is a mystery. And then boom, he gets to the mystery. Look at verse 33. Verse 33 is saying the exact same thing. It's talking about mystery. But it says it now like this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. It's still about mystery. But when you understand his greatness and you understand his grace, now this mystery is this beautiful thing. It's not this scary thing. It's like, oh, how deep and how rich and how wonderful. I I can't even understand it. That's What God's Word does for us is it helps us to see what's real. It helps to see what's underneath all the mystery and all the prophetic and all the historic. And this is what happens that God's greatness and His grace lead us to a place of glory. That we would give God glory and praise for what He's doing. And then look at verse 34. Go to verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I love that almost at the very end here we get another reminder that this plan, God's greatness and his grace and his glory, he does that. He he displays that. He works that because he wants to. God's not repaying you anything. God doesn't owe you anything. And that if you, if you think that you're good enough to get the grace, you're not. And the whole passage has been about Israel that said they, they didn't want it. They didn't want to accept it. And yet God says, I'm going to redeem them. That's what I mean when I say God's going to get you. If God wants you, he's going to find where you are. And he's going to lead you to a place of surrender to receive his mercy. That might be today for somebody. You might have been running to God for, for, for running from God for weeks, months, years. But I am here to tell you that God has a plan for you. You are not here by accident. But we have to understand this is not a repayment. This is a gift lavished on us. I'll say this last thing and then we'll go in for the close. I'll go to verse 36 here. So this week as I was, uh, so I'll just be honest with y'all. Preaching is so nerve wracking that I practice these. I like pretend I'm preaching to you, you know. And I have to do it when everyone's out of the house because it's so awkward to hear dad in there stomping around yelling in the living room. And so... um, Yesterday, I was, I was up here at the church, and um, there were people working here, so I went up to the youth room. I hope nobody was up in the youth floor yesterday because, because I was practicing. And, and, and so I was you know, just kind of talking and looking at this, and there's something about verse 36 that has been so helpful for me, even yesterday. And I want to give it to you. Obviously, I want you to remember greatness and grace and glory of God. I think those are good handles to hold on to for this text. But, but I also want to give you Romans 11. 36, as, a, as another way to remember it. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Three, three statements. 
And we just talked about three things about God. For from him, the greatness of God, the plan, his sovereignty, he knows what he's doing. That's from him. This plan of redemption is from him and through him. It's only through him that we get grace. It's only through the blood of Jesus that we find that redemption. And to him, the glory is his. The worship and honor and praise are his. Are all things. There's all things. This is so hopeful to me because here's what I think. Some of you here today, man, you are in a, a greatness void. You, you, you are having trouble remembering or seeing that God is great, that he's on his throne, that he has a plan. And my prayer is that you would remember Romans eleven thirty six, that first part, for from him are all things. He's got it under control. He is not scared. He is not worried. He is not afraid from him. There's some of you who who need to be reminded of the next one, through him, the grace of God. There's some of you that think that you've sinned so bad, there's no way God would give grace to you. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie from Satan. God has saved sinners way worse than you. And I am telling you that maybe you need to hold fast to Romans eleven thirty six 36 that says, through him are all things. He, he will bring you to a place of redemption, and rescue. And then there's some of you who need to be reminded that he gets the glory, not you, not me, not the church, not whatever programs you're involved in or volunteering you do. All things are for his glory. Maybe you need to be reminded of that. And so I'm going to have Drew come up and we're going to sing as we wrap up here. And here's the thing that's tricky about preaching or doing a sermon is that in a big old room, it's hard to know. It's hard to know what everybody's going through. And I couldn't even presume to guess maybe what you're feeling or, or feeling convicted about. But I will say this, that there's some of you that even now feel those, those flutters because you know God's calling you to something. You know he's calling you to serve or he's calling you to trust in his greatness or trust in his grace or, or be more passionate about giving him glory. Let me also say this, and I think this text completely supports that, but there's also an element of faith. I realize that. I realize to step out of your comfort zone and obey what God's calling you to do is scary. And for some of you, you are very, very scared. And I'm here to tell you that Romans 11 reminds you that your God is in control. And so I'll say this. If you need to talk to somebody or you need to pray with somebody, uh, I would love to talk to you after the service. But we also have this area out at the end of the hall right here, a secluded spot that we call starting point. It's private. Nobody's going to be wandering by or eavesdropping. If you need to talk to somebody or pray with somebody, and maybe you just walk up and you just say one of those things. I, I'm dealing with the greatness of God or I need to understand his grace or I want to glorify God more in my life. Whatever it is, someone will pray with you. Someone will encourage you. But please, please don't leave. If God's calling you to something, have, have faith in him. He's worth it. He is worth it.